Welcome. Hello. How's everybody doing on this 4th of July? Oh, my. Everybody ready for fireworks tonight? You know, at one point we thought we, we should get these described some which way, and we weren't quite sure how to figure out the logistics on it, so we didn't, we didn't get that together. But uh, um, they'll be magnificent nonetheless. Uh, there'll be all kinds of sounds and all kinds of stuff going, I think. Um, I'm Joel Snyder, the director of ACB's Audio Description Project. Uh, we've been doing this project now going on nine years or something and have accomplished so much, uh, and we'll talk about that tomorrow morning in the plenary session at about 11.30. Um, we do a full conference on audio description every other year. This year is our kind of off year, if you will, and in those in-between years, we do some, some sessions, a workshop that's particularly focused on the needs of audio description consumers, topics that we've heard from them that, that they feel they need to hear some more about, and we've got some great things going. Before we get into all of that and the first session, I want to introduce Kim Charlson, our illustrious, illustrious president, and... Uh, Kim, Kim, why don't you come to your, come in front of the table there. There you go. And then I'll, I'll get you over here. little short me. <laughs> Everybody keeps saying that in the general session. <laughs> well, it, it's my um, honor to, to welcome all of you. I think we have a fantastic turnout. This is great. To um, the audio description workshop this afternoon. As you know, um, Joel said nine years, audio description has been a major, one of ACB's major priorities. And we've, uh, you know, I, I think it, it will be very telling um, to hear the, the timeline of uh, what we've done and where we've been over that time. But there has been so much progress. And it's absolutely fair and accurate to say that audio description would not be where it is today if ACB hadn't picked it up as one of its key advocacy priorities. So um, it was my privilege for several years to, um, to chair the Audio Description Project. And when I became president of ACB, I felt like that might just be a bit much for me to do, be president and still continue to do that. So I asked Dan Spoon to do that, and he's done a tremendous job of continuing to move um, the ACB audio description agenda forward. So I want to give Dan a round of applause and recognition for his hard work. And there are many people behind the scenes, and I'm not going to be able to recognize everyone, but we have a series of subcommittees. I think we might be up to eight subcommittees now working on audio description on such areas as performing arts, which is one of my passions. Um, let's see. 
museum, and we got media. Um, I think museums go with performing arts, don't they? Okay, good. You can coach me, Joel. This is good. <laughs> um, and the media. And we have um, we're, uh, one subcommittee that's relatively new on certification and trying to figure out what's the best process to develop and put into place for credentialing the professionals who are the audio describers for us. Um, and let's see what else. <laughs> oh, the baddie and the general awards. Yes, I mean we're we're utilizing our our awards process as a way to to recognize and honor and spotlight um, people and organizations that are out there that are out there making a difference, developing a new product a software, an app, doing something. So we're trying to really make that a way to spotlight and get the attention on those organizations and then to leverage that so that the ones that didn't get an award, well, you know what they're going to say, right? Well, what do we need to do to get an award? So, well, you just need to listen to us and do what we say, and that would do it. That would be great. So <laughs> all these opportunities... Um, give us and place us in a much better position to continue to advocate for audio description. And we don't have any better advocates for that than each and every one of you that rely on and depend on audio description to make television, movies, theater, museums, education, cruises, all of those things accessible for rodeos. That's right. Two years ago. <laughs> so um, all I can say is keep up the great work. Your advocacy is making a difference and it's a lot of fun. Um, and Eric always says this to me. It's a lot of fun to do this. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to kind of guide this ship and watch the progress that we're making in the area of audio description. So everyone, keep up the work, keep up the passion, and let's keep it moving. Thank you so much, and let's enjoy the afternoon. All right. That's great. Well, let's, uh, let's hear from that guy who thinks uh, audio description is so much fun. <laughs> Eric Bridges, the executive director of American Council of the Blind. He'll be talking on our panel too, but he's going to say a few words of welcome right now. Sure. Well, uh, I'm not really sure what else to say. Uh, Kim really, no, it's all, it's all good. Um, I, uh, you know, I've been with, with ACB now for about 10 years and we, you know, when I, when I first came, there was this group called the Coalition of Organizations for Accessible Technology, known as COAT, uh, which by the way, the Facebook uh, group is still very active. Um, and th this coalition put together a white paper that became uh, a bill, something called the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Um, I had no background in uh, communications law. I had no real technical background in uh, sort of the delivery of audio description or how to make a cable box accessible. Um, but man, I learned. I learned a ton. And uh, learned from people like Joel, 
uh, and others, uh, and really was able to be the voice of the ACB member in negotiations in order to get that bill signed into law and then to continue to advocate for its implementation at the FCC. Um, and it's, uh, it's been truly awesome to watch all of this unravel. It has taken a while, but nothing worth having ever comes easy <laughs> or, or, or quickly, it would appear. Um, but it's, uh, it's great. Um, we're so uh, excited about the, uh, the commission meeting uh, on the 13th of July where, the, where they're going to vote to uh, expand the amount of hours of audio description on television. Um, well, it's on the agenda, isn't that right? Whether to do that. <laughs> they're going to do it. We're very helpful. Eric says we're going to do it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you can, I mean... Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, I could wind <laughs> up with that guy on my face, but at this point, I'm pretty sure this is going to happen. So, um, and it's you know, it's something where clearly there is more demand out there than there is supply of description. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, so we're we're just so excited, and I know this isn't another panel, but to watch sort of the outgrowth of the CVAA and uh, you know streaming services now getting into this that aren't even covered by the CVAA yeah. is has just been fantastic. So anyway, I've gone off on my own tangent here, <laughs> but I um, want to welcome you all, and I'm um, really happy that I've been invited to come and participate. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Why don't you pass that microphone to your left all the way down to Mark Lasser, because he's going to be our first illustrious expert type person to speak. All I'm going to say right now is, um, actually, I'm going to do some audio description of the slide that's projected on the screen at the front of the room. How do you audio describe words? You read them. That's what you do. And um, I, I, that, I, it took me years of study to figure that out. Um, American Council of the Blind's Audio Description Project, Audio Description Workshop, July 4th, 2017, Reno, Nevada. Session 1. Audio Description Accessibility and Technology, Open Forum with Representatives from Major Providers and Streaming Services. Moderator Joel Snyder, PhD, Director, ACB's Audio Description Project with Mark Lasser from Charter Spectrum, John Herzog from AT&T DirecTV, Eric Ridges, ACB's Executive Director, Peter Korn from Amazon, Carl Richardson, the Chair of ADP's Media Subcommittee, and Alex Corin from ActiveView. This is a great panel. We have, I mean, if this panel disappeared, you know, all the, yeah. All the tech expertise in the country on this stuff would, like, be gone if these people disappeared. I'll tell you. Uh, you know, I want to just say one, one quick thing before I turn it over to Mark. Um, I oftentimes talk about, having been involved with this, uh, since the very beginning, the very first audio description service, 1981, uh, in Washington, D.C. at Arena Stage. Um, so I've been doing this thing a, a long time, and I, I like to say that description is not really any longer in its infancy after 36 years. It's in its adolescence, if you will. And actually, that's not quite right, because in some ways, we are still in our infancy. Um, 
Well, maybe as far as the amount of activity going on in this country, in the UK especially, in Canada, a few other countries, we're getting up there. But um, one way in which we are really making strides is the technology to be used to communicate, to deliver audio description. I think we have a lot more to do as far as building quality description and training describers and getting, getting theaters and museums and media companies to do description. We're always working on that. The tech guys are way ahead of us. They're really thinking this thing through and they've come up with some fantastic options for audio description consumers. Mark Lasser is going to be first. He's going to talk a little, about, a little bit about description and technology from his perspective at Charter Spectrum. Mark, give it a go there. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. So, the, um, you know, I have to say that uh, when it comes to description with cable, I'm not just a person who works with it as a professional, but as a blind person, I'm also a consumer of it. So whatever I'm working on is affecting me personally as much as it is our, our customers and our community. And it's, that's really fun, and, and it's very fulfilling to, you know, it, it's a privilege to be able to have a job where we get up in the morning and actually know that we're making a difference in the world of, of you know, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people. Um, not everybody gets to do that, and, and it's, it's a great thing to be able to do that. Um, at Charter, you, we are, you have acquired a bunch of companies that were in varying stages of technology, and it's, it's a challenge to pull that all together, but we are looking to create accessible experiences um, that, that are fully accessible, and, and I think that my job will be secure, and at least until we get to the point where we can say that we have actual parity. You know, when we can provide the same experience, the same amount, quantity, and quality of content uh, for people with disabilities that we provide for everybody else, you know, we're, we're not done with our work by, by any measure. And um, there, there's a lot there to do, um, and it's, um, it's, you know, it, there, there are, we, we are dealing with the technical challenges, we're dealing with cultural challenges. Um, I, I can speak for, for our company in talking about accessibility and audio description. Um, for most of the people at our company, it's pretty new. Um, and until they have blind people walking around the company, it wasn't something they were overly familiar with. So. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of the, pers the beginning perspective of, of where we're coming from. Okay. That, well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. We, it's good to have somebody like Mark, uh, a consumer of description, right there at the cable company. And, uh, you know, obviously there are a number of cable companies out there. But uh, I think we're in good hands with Mark at Charter Spectrum. Um, uh, let me see here. Uh, well, you know what? I'm going to change the order a little bit because C Carl's got the microphone. So let's hear from Carl. Carl Richardson, um, I've gotten to know over the years now. He's the chair of the Audio Description Project's Media Subcommittee, and uh, he makes all of Massachusetts accessible. Isn't that right? Is that accurate, uh, Carl? Uh, well, <laughs> thank you for the promotion, first of all. <laughs> but, well, it's something like that. Let's hear from Carl. I, I'm the ABA coordinator <laughs> for the Massachusetts Day House. <laughs> I, I, it's actually one building, a very important building where the legislature and the governor work, though so I'm the ABA coordinator there. Um, but main, I'm here today as a consumer, although I do have a background in working in audio description. I previously worked for the Media Access Group, 
at uh, one of their marketing and failed people where I sold and promoted audio description. Um, I just wanted to let you know, because you're going to hear from a bunch of companies that have audio description, and I just wanted to give you a brief rundown of some companies that may not be here, but of sources you could go to access audio description. One, you heard Eric mention movie theaters. Last year, the Department of Justice put out um, some guidelines under Title III of the ADA, under auxiliary aid, stating that all movie theaters must have, well, to start with, if they have the equipment to produce, uh, provide audio description, it all must be working and all their staff must be trained. And by next year, every movie theater that plays digital cinema, which is virtually every single one of them now, must have the equipment to provide audio description and must promote the fact that they have audio description. So just be aware of that and start advocating. Um, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I knew it was in spring and summer of next year. Um, the second thing is um, app. Joel mentioned streaming app. Uh, right now, out of all the broadcast networks and cable network, I'm only aware of one dedicated app put out by a broadcast company that actually does audio description, and that would be the Watch ABC app. And that's available for iOS and Android devices. And I tried it on both, and it worked well on both. So ABC does, on their mainstream app, provide audio description. So that's another thing. There's also another app I just recently downloaded and tried called the Channels app, which is available on iOS and Android devices. And you have to have, and that costs, I think, $20. Um, and you have to have a home run tuner and an antenna. But it plays live broadcast television, for those who remember what a TiVo is, much like a TiVo does, where you could play, pause, rewind, fast forward live television. But it also is voiceover friendly and does allow you to turn on the SAP so you can have audio description. So that's a nice app also. Channels, like a TV channel, channel, C-H-A-N-N-E-L-S. iOS or, or Android? The H, all right, so the Home Run 8D tuner, and then maybe an antenna like uh, a Moho Leaf or an Amazon antenna to hook up to your TV. So you do need probably about $120 worth of accessories to add to it, but after that, it's free. Um, an, another thing is all of you know about, or many of you do know about Netflix. Netflix through structured negotiation with ACB, has now gone gangbusters on the amount of audio description they offer. All of their original programming content that they produce is now audio described, as well as some of the titles that they get from other studios. And at last check, they had well over 400 titles and several thousand hours of audio description. And um, I even did it on the airplane here. I downloaded the show ahead of time into my phone and listen to it on the way from Boston to Reno, and that worked out well. So Netflix, iTunes is another um, example. Um, you can stream, uh, you can rent or purchase movies, and they have over 500 titles. So I just wanted to briefly mention some of the other ways of access and audio description, and you'll hear 
more options from the rest of this distinguished panel, but I just wanted to make you aware of some of those options. And I think from what I'm hearing, there are more to come. So. Yeah, or, um, well, the mic is, uh, let's see. Go ahead and take I have the let me get closer. I have the Comcast Infinity app on my uh, iPhone, and when I put ABC's programming on, uh, I'm able. When I put ABC's programming, I'm able to watch it, but not all their shows are described. Right. I, I, okay. I'm going to hand the microphone to Mark, who's going to who's going to answer that question. And if one of you guys wants to grab it too, like I don't want to monopolize, but um, does anyone else want that or I, you want me to take that? So one of the things that's, that's a, a bit of, a, of um, a hurdle in terms of communication is that the audio description is not actually deliver, is delivered via your cable company like Comcast or Charter or, or DirecTV, but we don't create it. So we will deliver what we get. And if ABC delivers it to us, and I, and I, and I, you know, I, Comcast is more or less the same kind of infrastructure. If it's delivered to us, we pass it through. If we don't get it, we have nothing to send out. And we often get multiple um, audio streams. We can only send two. We can send out the sort of the standard one that everybody listens to, and then we have a secondary one that can either be blank or Spanish or audio description. Uh, typically, the one that we get is a bit of a patchwork. So, for example, we might get that secondary stream that the programmer recommends, and maybe it has audio description for Big Bang Theory, and then there's a show after it that's in Spanish, and then there's a show after that that has nothing. So think of it kind of a bit of a checkerboard. And whatever they recommend to us is what we're supposed to pass through. Now, that occasionally doesn't happen, but most of the time that's the issue. So the pressure to the place to put the pressure for why you're not getting audio description on a specific program is with the network or the program company um, that's doing that, unless there's a technical reason you're not getting it. And then in which case, that would be your cable right. company or, or your satellite company or right. other streaming company. But, but the, the availability first has to be there from the programmer. I'll tag on one other point, and uh, uh, I'll take one other question here. We'll go back to Carl, then maybe we'll hold questions to the end. We'll have plenty of time. The other point I wanted to make simply, uh, and I think it's appropriate to make this point, on July 4th, because, uh, you know, we talk about the CVAA, Communications and Video Accessibility Act, which uh, ACB has done so much to make a reality over 10 years. Well, the act is great. The part that deals with audio description mandates four hours per week at the top nine networks in the top 61 markets. Great. Well, four hours a week, that's nothing. That's nothing. You know, and yes, we're so pleased that July 13th, the FCC will talk about, and we are very hopeful, that they'll put it at seven hours per week. You know what? That's nothing. Still. The UK has, forget hours per week, the UK has 10% of all programming, and there are hundreds, thousands of hours of programming out there. So, what has to happen? This is not, you know, why does the FCC raise it? Well, they can't, because the law is what the law is. So, 
It's July 4th. Make sure <laughs> your congressmen, your senators know that we should be on a par with captioning. When the captioning law was put into effect 35 years ago, it had a mandated built-in increase every year a certain percentage, and now there's 100% of programs out there that are captioned. So I, I had to just jump in there with that. And then we have one uh, question over here. Yes, sir. Um, in Canada, where I come from, a lot of times when a program has uh, audio description on it, that you receive through your television set, when that same program is streamed over the Internet, it often does not. I'm just curious what your experience is like in the United States, please. Yeah, Carl, you want to speak to that? Or Peter's got his well, hand up. All or, I can say is right now that the law doesn't require that the network and the cable and the broadcast industry also pass it over the Internet like it does with captioning for the deaf and hard of hearing if it was originally broadcast. So we need to do some education with with the industry and also perhaps advocate to uh, change the rules a little bit. You want to speak to that too, uh, Peter? Uh, can you just pass the microphone to your right uh, there, and Peter's on the end. Peter Korn from Amazon. I'll talk a bit more about uh, the process behind our launch of audio descriptions last month, but as somebody who launched audio descriptions recently, I can tell you it is a non-trivial amount of work to conform an audio description track to an existing infrastructure. And uh, there's a fair amount of, of work in getting the description track from the studio after the fact and then making sure that there are no errors in that and a lot of, of testing and, and work to make that happen. So particularly for shows that already exist, that are already in your IP-delivered catalog, um, as we get to a sort of steady state moving forward, that, that technical effort should go down, and it should be a lot easier to do it for new things. That's but great. But that's a, that's a transition that... Uh, we're not quite at, at least at Amazon now, three weeks after launch of audio description. Yeah. Uh, pass the microphone back down. Carl, do you have a few other words you want to... Oh, okay. Well, let's thank Carl Richardson for his wise words. Here you go. We've got John Herzog up next for another great uh, uh, consumer of description who's also right there at a cable provider, AT&T and DirecTV. Uh, tell us about what's going on there, John. Thank you so much, Joel. Um, wait a minute. Is this on? Yeah. Thank you so much, Joel. So um, as Joel said, I'm John Herzog. I'm an accessibility solutions engineer with AT&T and DirecTV. Um, and I, much like Mark, I work on the DirecTV campus in El Segundo. And um, I have to say that if you've been a DirecTV subscriber, the past seven months have been quite an exciting time because we've released our um, accessible set-top box uh, software, and we have an option on there called Talking Guide. It does allow for a blind user to review the programs and the TV guide up to two weeks in advance. You can get info about the different programs available. You can um, view the uh, descriptions of the programs, um, set your recordings, 
And most importantly, and most relevant to this panel, you can enable video description um, with full speech feedback all throughout that process. At DirecTV, what we've also done is we realized that you know remote controls can be quite confusing if you're blind. So um, what we did is we provided a um, tactile description of where the buttons are on the remote and the number of times that you need to push each one to turn on the talking guide feature and the video description feature. Now, what I've been showing off at the convention is something... So, so the talking guide uh, was our set-top box, and that launched in early November of 2016. What I've been showing off at convention here is the accessibility of our mobile apps on iOS and Android devices, and we are supporting Kindle as well, Kindle tablets. Um, one of the features that we just launched early last week is the ability to uh, live stream and choose secondary audio from within our mobile app when you're streaming from your home DVR. And that's really exciting because what that means is that you get to hear video description of live content. I was wowing some people with War of the Worlds earlier today. <laughs> and, um, you know, that also enables a blind person like me to hear any emergency information that's available. I don't want to get the panel off track here, but one of the requirements for many TV stations is that they make accessible any emergency information that may be scrolled across the screen. And one of the ways that they primarily do that is by uh, providing announcements about that over secondary audio. And so with the latest uh, improvements to our mobile app, you're now able to hear the video description and the emergency information if you're watching TV from your DVR on mobile. Um, I want to go through one more thing before I hand the microphone to my right. Um, I want to say that, you know, for DirecTV, it is very much a work in progress. We have a lot that is usable right now, and um, especially with Talking Guide, we are going to come up with updates um, later on in the year that make it even smarter and make it even more helpful to use to you if you're blind or visually impaired. So please stay tuned because there's a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipe, although I'm not at liberty to say much more than I already have. So I'm going to pass the mic over to Will. <laughs> Wills at FCC. Thanks, John. Thanks very much. And now it's time for the G-Man. The feds are going to... Will Shell, who's a great friend of audio description at the FCC. Go ahead, Will. Everyone, everyone calls me the G-Man all the time. So... <laughs> um, this is Will. I'm actually... I don't believe I'm on this panel. So <laughs> I'm uh -oh. gonna take. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, but, uh, yeah, I did get that mixed up, didn't yeah. I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I'm sitting up here, and I'm gonna just take the opportunity to be in the middle to grab the microphone and just mention one thing before I hand it off to the next panel member, which is that. <laughs> oh, you forgot something? I did. Oh, please go right ahead. I'm oh, on this oh, panel. good. <laughs> so I, I'm 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 sorry, but I I did want to say one more thing, and I I had forgotten it because you know I I forgot my braille script. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um you know, with one of the things AT and T. So so the other service that we have in addition to Directv is UVerse, and I wanted to touch on this briefly because in June we also updated our UVerse mobile app, and um. For, for various technical limitations, um, the, the accessibility for UVerse is going to be more limited than DirecTV. However, if you have a mobile phone or a tablet and you're running UVerse because for whatever reason you can't get a dish, um, you can 
turn on video description on your TV with a one-button push in our UVerse mobile app. So you can use the remote control tab on iOS or Android, and you can click one button. It turns on video description. Your TV beeps to let you know that it's on, and the whole process is very, very slick. So that is an option if you are not able to get a dish, although... Uh, AT&T is offering blind UVerse customers who can take advantage of it an upgrade to DirecTV, and the equipment is at no cost. So that's Great. what I think you will. Let's get back to our non-panelists here. Right. So I'm going to just uh, mention a few things. Most of the, um, the FCC's rules, so my office's rules, are already being discussed, so I don't need to discuss them anymore. There is one thing that I just want to throw in, which is, um, as uh, John was mentioning, the CVAA, starting July 10th, has the obligation that multi-channel video distribution, um, pro, uh, I always get it mixed up, the technical word for cable and satellite right, uh, right. companies, they have to pass through the emergency information in an accessible manner. We at the FCC are unsure how anyone would be able to accomplish this without having a way to activate the secondary audio stream uh, on, your, on your second screen device. So if you're watching television on a second screen device, they're required to send through the emergency information in an accessible manner, which is through the, <laughs> which is through the uh, activating the secondary audio stream. My question is, and I don't think anyone knows the answer, if you have a secondary audio stream button on your app, would you, that's required for emergency information, would you not also pass through the audio description for the rest of the time that you're viewing on your tablet yeah. or whatever? Yeah, good question. We hope that they will pass that information on through too. Um, if you find a app that is providing cable or satellite or fiber uh, companies services and it doesn't have a way to activate the secondary audio stream, you should give my office a call. Uh, I'd like to hear about it. I want to find these apps, and I want to find these non-existent secondary audio buttons, and I want to try to get them onto these apps. Fantastic. So I'll pass it down. Uh, that's great. Well, and in fact, what I've heard from most consumers uh, is that, you know, it has been a, a bit of a trial. Most of the questions used to get on the ADP line uh, to me was, you know, how do I get the SAP channel activated, right? Um, and FCC probably gets from sighted people a whole lot of complaints about how do I turn off that damn uh, who's that voice? Somebody's telling me uh, what's on the screen. I can see it. What the hell? You know, isn't that right, Will? Yes. Yeah, and in yeah. fact, um, you know, if you start typing into Google information about the secondary audio stream, it auto fills in. How do I turn this yeah, off? Yeah. How do I turn know? off the damn <laughs> like, thing? Right. Um, so I think I think folks are beginning to you know we've get we're getting fewer calls about how to turn it on. Wow. I think most consumers, what I hear is that they leave it on, oh. and the only problem for this for broadcast television, the only problem there is that they come up on a football game, uh, sports in particular, uh, and they get Spanish translation. Right. And let me just say, this is something that we have to work on the confusion between the secondary audio yep. channel and a blank uh, some like no noise or a repeat of the primary audio channel or a foreign language it is too confusing yep. it's absolutely too confusing and i think the rise of of netflix and of amazon and the easy way to turn on uh, audio description 
is making people more aware that the audio description has been on their regular TV, TV broadcast for a long time, yeah. and they were unaware of it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's bringing awareness of audio description. But also, the key words over at the FCC are a mechanism uh, like a button key or icon to activate the secondary audio stream. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for something simple and easy to yep. use to turn it on yep. and off. Yep. Will, can you just also, could you just mention quickly yeah. uh, a phone number people can use to contact you or a website, a uh, web address, a URL to uh, com make complaints or whatever? Yes. Uh, FCC.gov slash disability. Easy enough? Yeah. FCC.gov slash accessibility. Oh, my goodness. I, I was putting the positive spin on it. Thank you. Thank you. Disability slash disability. It's, it's, I'm sorry, Will, it's disability. Disability. There you go. I turned that around. Thank you, Will. Eric's got some more to tell us about the CVAA and all kinds of good stuff that he's been uh, so instrumental in, in making happen for uh, the members of ACP and all audio description consumers. Uh, sure. Sounds good. Uh, what, I thought, what I thought I would do is uh, talk a little bit about the calls that we've been getting. Um, by the way, I think it's really cool that there's a bunch of blind dudes up here. Um, uh, it, it's okay, Peter. <laughs> um, the, the, Peter yeah. and Alex up there. Yeah. There, there's yeah. the, there's the poor, poor unfortunate, poor unfortunate light dependent people. <laughs> you guys are minorities. Yeah, you it's know? weird. That's right. <laughs> we're we're the token sighted people. Exactly, exactly. Help them out if you see them in the hall or something. You know, help them out, would you? You know, because they get lost and yeah. So what I I think what I'd like to talk about, Joel, is you know some of the calls that we routinely get in the in our national office regarding audio description and user interfaces from customers, and uh, you know the the user interface requirement went into effect late last year and uh, I think I think it's fair to say it, uh, it the rollout of some of these features have been maybe a little bumpy um, with some companies and what what I would really like to see happen moving forward you know we we work we've been working with charter for over a year uh, we've been, it's been fairly recent that we've been working with John, uh, specifically dealing with DirecTV. We've had a really wonderful relationship for many years with, uh, with Comcast, uh, and, uh, a, a good relationship with Verizon, uh, and a brand new relationship we're meeting monthly now with Cox Communications. Hmm. Um, the, the challenge that I see from our community is that there is still a, a communications gap that exists. And uh, what I would love to have come out of this session today is for the companies that are here, but also the companies that aren't here that we do work with, um, when 
accessibility uh, improvements or new features are are introduced to actually let the community know that they're there. Um, and I know that sounds kind of blunt, but many folks did not know how to turn on text-to-speech with, with Fios. Um, a lot of folks really didn't know where to go to, to look at uh, DirecTV and how to, how to activate that. Uh, same thing with, with Charter, and we worked with Charter um, to, to produce some, some communications, which was great. Um, you, guys are, you guys are working on some really cool stuff. And I guess from my perspective as an advocate, I just want that really cool technology that you're working on to be known to, to the consumer um, so that they know it's there, they can take advantage of it, and they can, they can provide good feedback other than calling us and saying, where is this? Or, or they haven't done it when we know that you have. So just a, a challenge moving forward. And we, we would love to continue. To, we are working with you. We want to continue the dialogue and help you push out information because all of this, um, it's, a, it's a cool new day out there regarding entertainment. And, uh, you know, the, the more people that know what's out there, you can make better informed decisions as a consumer, uh, which company you want to go with, uh, in particular in the case of a, a company like DirecTV, actually. Um, and so it's, it's, it's always been uh, a challenge of sorts within these large companies regarding accessibility. Uh, you know, the the getting the word out sort of thing. Um, you know, you take a look at a company like, uh, like Microsoft, for instance, they do blogs on all their accessibility stuff. That might be something for, for industry to, to take a look at. Uh, there's just, uh, there's a lot going on, and there are still just so many questions that our members and the broader blind community have, and if we could help to supplement that with... Um, uh, regular communication, that would be awesome. That's great. Thanks, Eric. Thanks very much. You know, I want, I want to pick on one thing you said, or pick up on one thing you said. Um, it is a new day for entertainment. Um, but you know what? Television, movies, museums, performing arts, that's all part of our culture. And we need to be a part of every, everybody, every American, every individual around the world needs to be a, a full-fledged member of their society's culture, their country's cultural activities. And I think that's one way of thinking about description that's extremely important. Um, it, it helps you be better informed, more engaged with society, a more engaging person. And that can even help uh, in seeking employment, ultimately. Um, so I think that's an important way to think about description. John, you want to add to that? Yes, I do, Joel. I want to add two things to it. Firstly, um, there I, I was just thinking of a show that I really liked that became somewhat of a cultural phenomenon last summer, which was Mr. Robot. And there are a lot of sequences in there when he's flashing back in and out of his own delusions within his own mind that you would never be able to follow if you didn't have audio description. And secondly, 
Um, to your point about being employed and making you a more engaging person, you're absolutely right, Joel, because the truth is, um, you know, it, it's something that a lot of people talk about on Facebook and on Twitter are the TV shows. And it's a soft skill, right? It's not like anything like a hard skill, like, you know, don't eat with two hands, stare at, look at people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a, it's a very much a sort of a soft skill, like a, a generally socializing and, and to be generally sociable, you have to know what's going on around you. And TV and movies is definitely in that category. And the third thing that I'll say is, you know, when, when we were doing beta tests of our talking guide with blind consumers and, and, you know, blind research panelists, one of the things that they said was just how amazing it was to be able to turn on video description and how much more they might consider watching TV if the experience was actually accessible to them. So, I, you know... Kudos to that, Joe. Uh, Joel, all the way around. No, that that's great. Mark, you want to add to that? Uh, just, yeah, thanks, um, Will. So one of the things, you know, as I'm talking about audio description to people is, you know, we're finding out some very interesting things. You know, much like closed captioning was initially created for deaf people, it pretty quickly became something that, that sighted people, that sorry, that hearing people were using as well because they were using it in airports to watch CNN and they were, they were uh, using it in sports bars and, and there were all kinds of, of spinoffs. I was on a panel earlier this year with some folks who were talking about Facebook and Facebook introduced uh, uh, closed captioning uh, thinking it was for deaf people and they thought they would see a 2% uptick in use um, in, in, in closed captioning. Well, guess what? They saw a 500% increase because it turns out it wasn't just deaf people using it. It was sighted people at work and in line and in public spaces and on the bus and everywhere else. So we're finding that audio description has similar sort of spinoff. So, for example, you know, my, my wife, who when I ask her, you know, says that to do two things at once, says I can only do one thing at once, apparently has no problem when it comes to watching television and watching doing something on her phone with a game and having something on her tablet and probably three or four other things. So what she finds is that if there's audio description on that programming, she actually knows what's going on without having to look away from what she's doing. And there have been studies, and maybe Joel can speak to them more specifically if, if, he, if, if he knows, but in the educational field, they're finding people with ADD and, attention, and, and different attention deficit disorders and uh, different learning disabilities have found that their retention rates are, are, I don't know what the magnitude is, but they're incredibly higher yep. when you deliver audio description as well. And, and so what we're doing isn't just for blind people. Yep. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to have much more universal applications. And one of our next panels, um, you'll hear from Susan Glass about our Beatty uh, uh, contest that's designed to encourage uh, use of description by young people. And um, we know from studies, and I cite them in the Visual Made Verbal, my book, um, that description helps everyone build literacy. You hear synonyms. You hear comparisons, you hear metaphors, similes, you hear vivid use of language, especially verbs and adjectives. Uh, that helps everyone learn English, be, be more literate. Carl. I just want to add one thing real quick. As an ADA coordinator, I work with the disability community at large, whether you're deaf, hard of hearing, blind, on the spectrum, have an intellectual disability. And I've been doing a lot of work lately with those in the autistic community, and I will tell you the few people or organizations I have showed audio description to love it because yeah. 
people on the spectrum sometimes don't pick up visual cues the way that sighted people do. And um, the audio description reinforces what's being shown on the television and, and, and give them other cues that they would otherwise miss. So I've seen it firsthand. It's yep. amazing to watch. That's great. Wow. Well, let's move on to Peter, uh, Peter Korn and Amazon. Uh, just exciting stuff coming out of Amazon over the last couple of months. Uh, tell us about it, Peter. Thank you so much, Joel. It is a real pleasure to be here and share all of this news with you. It's been a while in coming, and it's, it's so fun to bring it to, uh, to the community. How many were at the general session this morning and saw the demo that I gave? Yeah, good, goodly number. So then I don't want to repeat much of that for folks who uh, don't necessarily need to hear it a second time. I'm just going to go over quickly some, some key facts and figures. Uh, today, and actually for quite some time, 100% of our prime video catalog on Amazon Video is closed captioned. Well over 90% of the entire catalog is, is captioned uh, as measured by, by viewing amount. Anything that's been watched more than 10 times in the last 90 days, if for some reason it wasn't captioned before, we will caption it. We have some things in our hundreds and hundreds of thousands of titles that haven't been watched. They're from small art houses. They were never captioned. Uh, but as they get watched, we will automatically add captions to those. The Amazon video application talks on nearly all of the devices and all the modern devices that it runs on. So not only iOS, Android, but PlayStation, Xbox, game machines, uh, Roku, uh, smart TVs, and so on. Uh, last, month, last month, we launched audio descriptions with over 100 movies from a wide range of studios, 10 Amazon uh, original TV shows. Uh, at launch, those audio descriptions work on Fire OS devices, so our TV and tablet, iOS, so iPhone and uh, iPod, iPad, uh, and Android, tablets and phones, uh, not the, the living room devices or smart TVs, with one notable smart TV exception. Um, offline viewing of um, Amazon Video also works with audio descriptions. So if you download a movie to your tablet, your iPad, your phone, uh, with audio descriptions turned on, we will download the audio description track. And then if you play it offline on your uh, airplane or what have you. Um, finally, the Fire TV and Fire Tablet have a number of third-party apps, AT&T mentioned theirs, uh, that are accessible for watching videos and whose audio descriptions are also available. Netflix, for example. I didn't get to demonstrate that this morning. But the Netflix app um, is accessible. The Netflix app audio descriptions are rendered on our devices. The final thing I would say, rather than doing any demos of this, since I think you by now know what these things sound like, um, is we want your feedback. I want to echo and underscore 
what Eric was saying earlier. Your feedback is incredibly helpful in driving our feature additions. Please send us email to device-accessibility at amazon.com. Let us know what features you're using. Let us know how you like them. Let us know how we can improve them. Let us know what new things you would like to see that we haven't gotten to yet. Finally, I would also encourage you to use the uh, third-party review capability on Amazon.com. If you have bought one of our devices, our Fire Tablet, our Fire TV, write a review. Let everyone know what you think of it. Let everyone know what you think of the accessibility features of it. We read those reviews. So thank you again for having me. It's uh, delightful That's to great. be here. Congratulations, Peter. On so much more, so much more uh, description, described content on Amazon. Dan Spoon has a question. Here's the microphone. And Peter, this is a question maybe for you and Mark, but I'm just noodling outside the box here. So if I'm a charter customer and I have an Amazon Fire Smart TV, can I turn on my Amazon Smart Fire Smart TV hooked to my charter cable connection, and that device can work to give me audio description in the smart television without needing a set-top box. So um, we are getting program guide information using the, the standard protocols for conveying that. Uh, we get it over over the air by syncing uh, over the internet with that, but for cable providers that provide that, uh, that should be there. The uh, TVs only started shipping last week, so I wouldn't be surprised if the various cable vendors haven't had a chance to test for interoperability yet. Anything you want to add to that? Okay. But but they're available on Amazon.com, starting at 440. Is it possible? <laughs> we we we've definitely heard that request. I would suggest you follow up with email to device accessibility. There you go. With that request. There you go. Yeah. Let's hold on questions so we have our last speaker, and then we'll have some good time for questions, um, if you will. You know, you know, we don't get um, that question on the ADP line uh, about how to turn on the SAP. We don't get that quite as often. What we get now and have for quite a few years is what is going on with the movie theater I go to. I go, and I get the, the headset, and it doesn't work. It doesn't have the batteries are not charged. I can't know if the description's on during the trailers. I go back out, and they, they fuss with it, but the guy doesn't know how it works because movie theater personnel turn over every two weeks. Uh, you know, it's, it's a pain, and boy, have we ever heard that. Well, our next speaker, Alex Corin from ActiveU, uh, has a solution, and I think this 
has a lot to do with the future of description and its delivery in movie theaters, even at home with DVDs and elsewhere. Uh, we're all going to be using our smartphones. Is that right, Alex? It absolutely is. Thank <laughs> you guys so much for having me here. It's it's honestly a huge honor, and I, we're the the no name bunch of the group here, but uh, but but we're we're glad to be up here uh, with everyone. Uh, You've probably never heard of ActiveView. We are, we are new to the scene, and we are a company that is absolutely 100% the only thing that we do is accessibility, um, and that is accessibility for entertainment. So we sought out in the beginning our goal being how do we make every piece of entertainment uh, that, that's pre-recorded, so we're talking movies, TV shows, and such, uh, accessible via audio description, amplifying the audio for those that are hard of hearing, closed captioned, uh, translated, as well as even sign language interpreted to make sure that everyone has full level of access to everything they go and, and, and view. Um, and so Braun, who's out in the audience, uh, and I, we, we, we co-founded this company. I'm, I'm 23 years old. Braun is 19. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, how, how, old, how old is Paul Sihaki? And, and uh, the third part of the group is 55 years old. Oh, so, okay, so, right. so it's, it's a funny hey, group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we always say our, our ages don't add up. Um, but, uh, you know, we sit on this mission, how can we make accessibility easier for everyone? And I think, you know, by, by just uh, making some noise, how many of you have gone to the theater and have, a, have had a, a AD device fail on you? Failed battery or, yeah, or yeah, something like that? Yeah, there you go. It's absolutely awful. Everyone's had it happen. And, and uh, we wanted to put you guys in control of your experience. And the way that we saw to do that was through your phone. Let's make uh, audio description at movie theaters available through your phone. And so we've developed two ways of doing that. Um, the first one is basically we made this, this box, and we sell it to theaters. They put it in their projection booth, and it takes all the AD off of every single movie that goes to that movie house and puts it over Wi-Fi. So you go into the theater, you connect your phone over Wi-Fi, you open the ActiveView app, and you have AD. There is no worrying about the channel. There's no worrying about you know, talking to even an employee at the theater. Don't ask if it's on. Just walk into the theater, open your phone, and get your AD with your headphones. Volume control everything. You're, it's your own experience. You, you can, you can uh, be the master of that. Um, and the second thing is you know, people have asked us, what if my theater doesn't buy it? What if my theater doesn't have it? Um, we've developed a, sec a second piece of technology which we were working with the studios in Hollywood. Our first pilot was with Cars 3, Disney's Cars 3, just two weeks ago. We're really excited about this. Uh, we actually got them to give us their AD track and host it on our own servers up in the cloud. And our users can go and download that track to their phones, go to any theater in America showing Cars 3, and then synchronize with the movie automatically. Their phone will listen to the movie and figure out exactly where in the movie you are, and it'll start playing your AD for you. So Cars 3, accessible via AD in every single movie theater across the country. And it's totally free. Cool. Um, cool. And so <laughs> we are really, really stoked because, you know, AD, of course, is the first thing that we're supporting uh, countrywide with Cars 3. All the other services are going to be coming on with our future titles, which should be coming on by, you know, end of summer. We're working with other studios to make this all happen. Um, but just to kind of take a, a little uh, uh, to higher level view here, what we're doing here works both in the theater and in the home. Uh, we want to make this work with, with services like Amazon and with Netflix, with your HBO. Uh, we want everything to be accessible via this mobile application so you can sit in, the, in your living room, put an earbud in or, or have it over the speakers, but, but have a personalized experience where if your spouse or your kids don't want to listen to the AD or one person in the room wants to listen to in Spanish but no one else does, you have that ability to really customize your viewing experience however you want it. And, um, and so I think our big action item that I want to tell you all about today 
is that for every person that downloads the app, even if you don't actually get to the theater, but if you download it and email us and just say thank you for this or, or, or just download the content and, and get to the theater, that's one more point that we can use when we go back to Hollywood and say people want this. They're willing to work with us. We've, we've made those inroads. Paul, our third person, was the head of post-production, head of making AD possible at Pixar for 17 years. He's working, he's with us full-time, and he's been our bridge to all this. And they say, if you can show us that this is an important thing to the communities, we will give you this content. And so I think it's on all of us here, it's, it's on all of you to, to really be, have a voice and say, we want this. We want this to be the norm, not just the special thing that we get to have once a year when that one movie comes out, but every single time. And, uh, and so please go out, send us emails with feedback. We want your input on what we're doing wrong. We want to do it better. And download the app and give it a try because right now it's just Cars 3. And I know that might be the, not the movie for, for anyone but kids right now, but, uh, but certainly there will be more for, for every um, demographic to enjoy uh, in the coming weeks, months, and, and, and hopefully for, for the foreseeable future. That's great, Alex. Wow. And I, uh, we've got a couple of questions. So, uh, so go I'm going gonna, gonna to jump in here and say if this sounds exciting to you, and you want this on your Fire TV when you're at home, there's this email address. <laughs> and you write and say, I want Active View on top of everything else that, thank you very much for giving me. Please give me Active View, device-accessibility at Amazon.com. There you go. There you go. And I'll give you a little preview. Uh, uh, those of you who are going to be at the plenary session tomorrow morning at 1130, uh, part of what Dan Spoon and I will be talking about is our annual Audio Description Awards. And ActiveView is the recipient of this year's Margaret Fan Steel Research and Development Award. We really appreciate it. It's a huge honor. It's, 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 yeah. it's the world to us. So that's, that's cool. Um, well, with that, yeah, let's open it up to questions. And, and whoa, we got a lot of questions. Uh, Carl's got something to say here. Oh, oh he's got a question. I'm a consumer right now. Um, so, I have a question for the gentleman with ActiveView. I am a person with a dual sensory loss that's both hard of hearing and visually impaired. And often when I go into the movie theater, I struggle with whether I want to use the audio description or the enhanced audio for amplification. Is there a way in the ActiveView app to marry both so that I could add one track, so I could listen to enhanced audio and audio description? So that's, that's an awesome question. And one of the best parts about being a software company is we have the capacity to do anything. Um, <laughs> right now, uh, the app does offer a few combinations of services. The first one absolutely is enhanced audio and audio description together in one track. So you can choose the levels and have that in your own way. If you want to use the closed captions and the enhanced audio at the same time, you can do that. Working on closed captions and sign language interpretation at the same time. I mean, I'm going to be having people reading in Braille and listening in Japanese and, and watching in, in, in Spanish uh, tomorrow. But, but we're doing everything we can to make, to make those things possible. So absolutely, you will have that. It's there in the app right now. Cars 3 supports it. Okay. Hi, I'm Colette Arvidson. Um, last year when I was here, I heard about the Disney Anywhere app. And that's one of the, it sounded just like what you're doing for ActiveView. Is there a relationship between the two? Sure. Uh, so actually the, the person who championed uh, Disney Movies Anywhere actually is Paul Saihaki who came and joined our team full time. Uh, to tell you a brief story, Paul, Paul was with uh, Pixar for 17 years and was looking for his next challenge. And uh, he came and saw a demonstration that 
uh, Braun and I put on September of last year, and he promptly took a job with us next week. Um, we, you know, while DMA is an amazing app and offers up primarily just watching the movies without AD and does have some AD capabilities, uh, ActiveView is a solely accessible app that offers not only AD but every other accessible service we can think of, and that's really where, where we're coming at it. Plus, the fact that Disney Movies Anywhere is locked into Disney, and we want to support movies across the board. Yeah. Hi, a question over here. My name is Marco Salsicha. First, I uh, just want to thank all of you for opening media up to, to us. Um, I have a question specific to uh, Amazon and then also one for John, if that's okay. Uh, first off with Amazon, will, uh, will the audio description be disseminated down into other devices such as a Vizio, 4K TV, Smart TV, or a PS3 by any uh, in the future? Yes. I'm not at liberty to say when, but uh, <laughs> you have probably noticed we are moving very rapidly. Mm -hmm. So, yes. And then uh, the, the quick... What the? <laughs> oh, okay, there's a piano over there. <laughs> uh, quick question for, for John Herzog from DirecTV. We, we switched over to DirecTV last February or in 2016, and we are just now learning about this. Uh, talking guide thing, and we have a genie set-top box. So how do we, do we have to get new hardware, or what, how do we get that set up for us? What a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. There's a couple things. Um, first of all, the, the first thing I would do is Google DirecTV talking guide, because um, it could very well be that you already have new enough hardware to support it. It does Talking Guide is a feature that is compatible with our HR44 and HR54 boxes. In non-technical speak, that means the latest generations of the Genie set-top boxes. Now, for the time being, that does just work on the DVR box. The Genie Minis, um, you can control with your smartphone app. Um, and when one of the things that we've done on that Talking Guide page, we've explained exactly how to enable it. And in the event that you got an old box that does not support Talking Guide, you as blind consumers are eligible for free upgrades. And what you do is you, um, you call DirecTV, um, and we have a number on our FAQ, um, but you basically say that you, you're blind, you need the Talking Guide, um, and you need the upgrade. And our representatives are being trained on how to handle those requests. Hi, my name is Jason. I was wondering another thing. If maybe we can work on is getting video. I mean, getting getting um, what is it? Audio description on Facebook. Like for us blind, it, it tells what we're looking at, who we're looking at, or what they look like. Well, I I will say one thing about that. Um, actually, just recently, the FCC um, recognized Facebook's um, uh, automatic, if you will, uh, alt text mm -hmm. uh, capability. Um, not quite description, but it's, it's getting there. Uh, Facebook has, uh, and YouTube, you know, millions of hours of video. Uh, not all, that's not all going to be professionally described, but there are also programs that are looking to put it in the cloud and, and have basically crowdsource description. You want to speak to that um, a little bit, Will? Or? No. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. What are you doing on this panel anyway? <laughs> Um, this is this is this is Will from the FCC. We don't have any regulatory information you about um, you know YouTube or Facebook right now. Um, we did recognize them for having automated uh, alt text, and it, you know automating some of that stuff is really really useful on the one hand and can add confusion on the other hand. So the automation, if it's wrong, can be 
really bizarrely wrong. You know what I mean? Um, so it's a, it's a new world. We're all moving towards the future, and we're just going to have to get there one way or another. I just wanted to, I took the mic uh, for one second because I wanted to thank John for mentioning, and I wanted to reiterate that if your current set-top box uh, isn't accessible, and there's a lot of caveats, it has to be in the top 14 or 10 uh, you know, cable, satellite, or fiber providers, and, uh, but if you have an inaccessible set-top box from one of those top 10 cable companies and you are uh, blind or visually impaired, you can get that for free. Don't let them charge you. I'm, I take complaints on this stuff. I'm willing to take complaints and go after companies who want to charge you $2 more per month. It's unacceptable. Free is free. And uh, so we're going after even $2 more per month. So send your complaints to FCC um, if, you, if you get a $2 charge, I guess. Okay. <laughs> So, all right, uh, my name is Terrell Jones, and one of the scenarios that uh, I want to bring up is I use an antenna, and one of the things that I would like to see, and, and maybe this might be possible with the ActiveView app at some point, is the ability to uh, use an antenna tuner, like a, hard, a piece of hardware that you would plug the antenna into and it would sync over your Wi-Fi and you can access your programming as well as audio description. And in this device, you would be able to plug a USB hard drive into it, your own USB hard drive, whatever size you like, and you would be able to record video, audio, or both on, um, and, and be able to retrieve that off of your hard drive. That would be really cool. Yeah, so... so. The channels app I mentioned, while you can't necessarily plug in a second device to record it, is going to, or is currently in the beta phase of offering a DVR. So you can record shows using an antenna that will record the SAP as far as just playing over the air. There are DVRs that will record them. I don't know if you can then, um, you know, like TiVo will record anything over the air with, with, with audio description and other DVR devices. I just don't know if you can then put it on an SD card and then play it through your Victor Reader, which sounds like that's what you want to do. Hi, my name is Bernie. Um, my question is a little bit off of you guys a little bit. I, this is employment-related. There's a software that's needed for blind machinists. Nobody makes this software accessible to the blind. And if there's anybody here on any of the panel or individuals in the room that might be willing to tackle this problem to make the software to run the computerized controlled machines, CNC machines, accessible to the blind, universal, and it is possible to do that according to Battelle National Labs that I got a small grant from to look into this problem. So it, this is work-related, not entertainment-related. So if anybody wants to talk to me about this, I'd sure appreciate it because nobody in any of the booths here want to take that subject on.
um, for ActiveView. Uh, how can we, can I get the information from you that you mentioned could go into a movie theater uh, so they will be accessible uh, for audio description? I've mentioned it to our local theater. It's a Rocky Top 10 theaters. And uh, I've mentioned it three different times, and I even suggested that I was writing an article about it, and I'd sure like to let our local people know that they have it. And she still hasn't called me back on that. And so this, and I, uh, about a month ago, I said to my husband, there should be something that they should put right in the theater where everybody could just tune in with their cell phones and get that information. So You're a very, very smart person for that. <laughs> yeah, so isn't that great that you've mentioned that? Absolutely. And I'd love to give them this sure. information. So uh, first of all, we, we do have an email address that, that both our users and theaters are, are, are very welcome to reach us at. That's team at activeview.co. Um, I can tell you as a side note that they're uh, holding us ransom for activeview.com for $30,000. But uh, team at activeview.co, if you email us there or tell a theater to email us, we'll get on the phone with them and chat with them. The second piece is uh, we're going to be releasing an update to the app in about a few weeks that's going to have a request this theater button. And basically anyone who goes to a theater... You walk in there and you have, you will have your location, your GPS, you can enable it. You hit request this theater and it will tell us there's someone at this theater that wants access there. And if we get 10 people at a theater that say, hey, we want access at, at you said the Rocky, uh, something, Rocky 10, then we'll, 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 we'll contact them directly and say, hey, you have 10 people in town who are saying we want access here and we'll try and make that sale for you guys. And so definitely keep an eye out for the update with Request This Theater. We know it's a big one people are asking for, so you have the power to really push the theaters to do this kind of a thing. And one last question. Oh, so, uh, so if you're in the theater with an app that's coming out in a few weeks, there'll be a button on the homepage that says Request This Theater. You can just tap that button. But in the meantime, feel free to give them our email address, team at activeview.co, um, and we'll reach out. Or, or if you email us, I'll reach out to them myself. Sure. No problem. A-C-T-I-V-I-E-W. Active View. Okay. This is Renee Arrington-Johnson. I have a question for um, Mark from Spectrum. Just recently moved from Michigan and Ohio, switched from Xfinity to Spectrum. The biggest thing I miss is my remote control from Xfinity that had the microphone on it. It is in the works. Like everybody else, like, I can't give you a date. I can say that I've sat in on the meetings. With Where the, is your list? You have a website. On your website, does it list your accessibility features? It's got some information at um, charter.com slash ACC. Okay. Uh, that's a high priority for me as well. It's something I really want to use. Um, I can tell you that we, have, we are uh, meeting with the, the people to develop that. The developers are working on it, and... That I have, we've already, um, I've already sat down with the industrial designer to design the remote that will include that. So, like, it's very real. It's coming, um, and I, and I'm there with you. Thank you. We are up against uh, the hour. I want to just say a couple of things before we thank our panelists and uh, take a break before our next session. Um, I want to mention the Audio Description Project website. Uh, it has, yeah, there you go. We have some fans. Um, www.acb.org slash ADP. 
It really is the go-to site for information on any kind of description um, in this country. And people from around the world use it as well. Again, acb.org slash ADP. Second thing I want to mention is that tomorrow night is our annual ACB movie night, which means described movie. And, um, you know, you know, the tradition has been that we, we, we show the film that won Best Picture Award. Uh, well, we're showing La La Land, which was the best picture for about a minute and a half. <laughs> so I think we're good there. Uh, the, the BPI people showed Moonlight last night. So if you missed it, well, you know, talk to me or something. Anyway, and then finally, I just want to recognize two very important visitors uh, here. They, they live in San Diego, and they live in, in Poznan in Poland. Is it in Poznan or no, near, near Warsaw, in Warsaw? That's right. Joanne Escabel and her talented and lovely husband, Escabel. The, she, Joanne is holding up uh, a placard that is the image of the book, the visual made verbal uh, in Polish. Um, and we are so excited that they are here. Uh, the book will be available, what, within the month or something. Isn't that right? Um, it uh, has been already printed in Russian. It'll be available within the month in Portuguese. And we're working on several other languages as well. So I'm really excited about that. And, of course, this is an ACB publication. So thank you, Joanne. Thank you all for being here, and please give the panel another round of applause. Good stuff. Oh, that's, that's reasonable. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm saying in here. Yeah, yeah. No problem.
I know, I saw him out there. I was like,
Here's your purse. I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> this down the way here a bit so um yeah S susan yeah uh, mark had a quick question about what you wanted to focus on and then we should get started let me take you to mark last yeah
Bring you to the microphone. You can kick this thing off. Well, let me. I've got to get my thing loaded. Oh yeah, good. Sorry. While you do that, Susan, we're going to start our next session. Hello. Why? Thank you. I want to audio describe the screen that's uh, being projected, uh, which means read it. American Council of the Blinds Audio Description Project, Audio Description Workshop, July 4th, 2017, Reno, Nevada, Session 2, Audio Description Advocacy. Panel 1, Promoting AD in National Parks, Performing Arts Venues, Museums, and Educational Settings. Our moderator, the charming and lovely Susan Glass, Chair of ADB's Beatty Subcommittee, with Mark Lasser from Charter Spectrum, He'll have some ideas on performing arts. Margie Donovan, our uh, illustrious audio description consumer and advocate who knows everything there is to know about parks and audio description. And then Susan will talk about uh, audio description and education, our baby contest. And Denise Decker is here too. And she is on our Performing Arts Museum subcommittee. So with that, I will turn it over to Susan as soon as you're ready there. There you go. Thank you so much. All right. You bet. Thank you, Joel. That was a perfect introduction, and it gave me an opportunity to explain to my dog that she needs to be a really good girl. Um, um, it, it's wonderful. Uh, this, is, this is a delightful panel, and I'm, I'm so happy to hear so many people in the audience. Two things I wanted to say before we be begin. They're very quick. Uh, one is that I just returned from Homestead National Monument in Nebraska, and the park is entirely audio described now. They have a cell phone tour set up. It is absolutely ma marvelous. And it was, I love the prairie, and it was such a moving experience. The second thing I want to tell you, and you'll hear more from her later in the day, we have a charming new celebrity in the audience. Her name is Abigail Moreno. Abby, can you give a shout out? Just say. Abigail Moreno is the grand prize winner for this year's Beatty Award, which stands for the Benefits of Audio Description in Education. She is 16 years old, and she is already a film reviewer and a writer. 
and you will hear a lot more about her when we get to the education segment, but she's come all the way here from San Francisco to be here. You'll hear her at general session tomorrow. Welcome, Abby. One more hand for Abby. Okay, the way we'd like to proceed is, is as follows. I'd like to, I will introduce each panelist, and each panelist will speak for the amount of time she or he needs, um, anywhere from five to eight minutes or so. And I'll, I will introduce each panelist individually so that you can remember the introductions instead of have to writing them all down in one big chunk. If you could hold questions until every panelist has spoken, that way everybody gets a chance to speak and, and then you know you can throw out the question and they'll go whatever they will. But sometimes if there are too many questions in the middle, suddenly somebody doesn't get to say what they want to say and gosh, we don't, we don't want to do that. We've got such a good group here. So without any further ado, I'd like to um, introduce our first panelist, uh, Mr. Mark Lasser. And if you were here earlier in the afternoon, you, you, you heard, heard from Mark and, and know Mark. Mark um, is going to tell you about an advocacy um, situation that can sometimes happen to us when we are um, attending a performing arts venue. Um, you know what it's like, uh, what, it, what it can be like when you come to a venue such as a museum and uh, perhaps no one there knows what on the premises is audio described or knows how to handle a tour. Um, you may have gone to um, a, a theater where there was supposed to be audio description and there was not. And there are steps that one um, can take. Uh, and uh, and, and um, ad since advocacy is a, is a piece of what we're doing today, we thought we'd um, hear from Mark, who's going to um, provide a, a, a general narrative for you. And anything else that, that he wants to say about ways of advocating or the importance of this in performing arts. So without any further ado, Mr. Mark Lasser. Hey, thanks everybody for coming out. So I've got, I'm going to actually take my, my, I do work for charter, but I'm going to take that charter hat off for this conversation because I'm, I'm not really speaking as a, as a charter employee. I'm speaking as a blind person and a blind advocate uh, as an individual. Um, so I am a huge fan of theater. I uh, used to, my wife and I would travel to New York City uh, two to three times a year and see live theater. Um, we now live in Denver, Colorado, where we are able to get uh, approximately 50 to 100 shows, depending on the year, audio described and on demand. If we ask for it with a couple days' notice, they find us audio describers. Um, last year at this conference in Minneapolis, we were told that in Minneapolis they do over 300 audio described live theater performances. And in my research, I started finding out that they're doing a good job in most cities in America, in Washington, D.C. Um, even in London, they do touch tours and... and um, audio description and closed and open captioning and, and theater is really important for the blind community because it's, it's one of our cultural touchstones. It's one of the, the ways we become culturally literate and, and have some parity um, with the rest of the world and um, experiencing these things, especially in New York where shows are often new, cutting edge and defining our culture. Um, so the reason I, I'm, I'm going to sort of dodge being a little bit too specific is essentially we have this bit of a problem in advocacy where um, if we if we get too specific, um, you know, we wind up uh, creating even more problems for ourselves. Um, but the uh, my, I, I did spend two months talking to a theater in New York City that has a massively successful show. 
um, that spent $1.5 million producing it, and they are on, par on track to receive $1 billion, with a B, in revenue from their show. And we asked for audio description for, for two months. We asked for audio description, Braille programs, touch tours, uh, open and closed captioning, um, you know, even um, you know, low-volume shows for people on the autism spectrum. And they basically just kept saying no. And um, we eventually um, got to the point where they were so adamant about saying no that we filed a class action lawsuit uh, against them to bring that. And, and, in, and in doing that, we, we discovered that of the 60, I think it's 62 official Broadway theaters that are recognized as Broadway and off-Broadway uh, in the theater district in New York City, a total of three offer audio description. And all three of those are highly technical shows that have pre-recorded audio description. And the three that currently offer it are um, uh, Wicked, The Lion King, and Book of Mormon. So if you've seen those, then you're done. Like, you, there's nothing else to see. And if you want to see the shows that won the Tony Awards this year or last year or um, any of the other shows that are out there, you're pretty much out of luck unless you want to get a sighted person sitting next to you and disrupt the rest of the theater. Um, forget about Braille programs. So, you, the, uh, so, you know, what, what, what my discovered in this process is um, they'll offer a settlement, and in offering that settlement, they'll often ask you to agree to non-disparagement, and they'll ask you to, um, um, they'll ask you for uh, non-disparagement and for confidentiality. And by non-disparagement, if I basically said, I tried to see this show and name it at this theater and name it, they didn't provide accommodations and name which accommodations they didn't provide. And in, in doing so, I filed a lawsuit. That would be constitute disparagement. Um, and by confidentiality, the fact is, in the current suit that we have, I'm not asking for $1 or one penny. I'm not even asking for a ticket to the show. We're asking for purely for um, injunctive relief for them to solve the problem. But if I were to take this settlement... I couldn't tell you that I took zero dollars. And so people out there would think, oh, another 60 minutes drive by, you know, blind person suing for the opportunity and maybe we're making a bunch of money. And of course, I wouldn't even have the freedom to tell you I didn't take anything. Um, so this puts us in a very strange spot. Um, a, a one, since we're in the middle of it, I don't necessarily have an answer to. Um, but I do think it's important that we stand out for ourselves. And I think it's really important that that the cultural icon of New York City um, should be accessible to blind people and deaf people um, and everybody else who wants to see these shows. We have the right to experience them and to know what they are and to go with our friends and our family and our loved ones like everybody else. And there, there's, there's really no financial reason it can't be done and there's no physical reason it can't be done. It's being done everywhere else. And um, that's sort of the story of where I'm at, I'm at now. Thank you very much, Mark, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be questions about advice for advocating at local levels. Our second panelist feels, I'm sure I can say, as strongly as you do about these issues. Ms. Margie Donovan is a retired visual impairment service coordinator for the Veterans Association. She describes herself as a natural-born advocate, and those of us who know her well would definitely echo that sentiment. She lives in Folsom, California, where she works tirelessly to promote 
high quality audio description in performing arts venues and in other venues, and does a lot of advocacy work at that uh, in, in that, and, and uh, I believe even coordinated uh, a training session uh, that brought Joel Snyder um, to her community to teach. Uh, I would just like to turn this over to Margie for a few minutes and ask her to talk about her advocate strategies. I would also like to say I know that she's a an advocate for guide dog users and handlers, and I think if there's something that needs fixing, Margie is the equivalent of the carpenter there with the huge tool belt who says, let's get to it. Um, and I hope that's a flattering remark, Margie. I mean it that way. I would turn it over to you. Thank you. Susan, can you time me and let me know when I'm at five minutes? Can you time me? Certainly. Thank you. And let me know when I'm at five minutes. Okay, and you have the mic. I have it. Oh, okay. I'm not speaking any Good afternoon, everyone. It's a delight to see how many people are here. Um, I want to tell you my story. I pretty much grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, even, even lived in San Francisco, where up and down the Bay Area from San Jose to San Francisco, we had audio description back in the early 80s. And I happened to retire from the VA in San Francisco, and I moved to Folsom, California, and I could not believe the lack of access in the whole Sacramento area. So the first thing I did was took on my town, got an APS, got talking ATMs, et cetera. And then I focused on um, a theater we have in Sacramento. We do a Broadway series in the winter, if you will, and we do a summer series called Music Circus. Well, <clears throat> Apparently, there had been work done on this many years ago, but ne never came to fruition. So I decided to put together a little team of our chapter members, and we went and we met with somebody at the theater who was supposed to be working on this, but she ended up to be useless. And fortunately, not because of us, but because of budget cuts and stuff, she was laid off. As soon as she was laid off, we moved this program forward very rapidly. And when I say rapidly, it took about a year to implement. And that's pretty rapidly, actually, in, in my belief when it comes to audio description because of purchase of equipment, training people to describe and all of that. Anyway, so that pulled off. We had a lot of glitches in the test period and... Um, we have incredible audio describers. We have the best in the country. Right, Joel? <laughs> two, two of our trained audio describers sat in on Joel's training, which I'm going to move to next, is the Harris Center, which is our community college in Folsom. And they have a theater. And I've been working with them. And I'll, I'll go into a little bit after I tell you about my theater work. Um, the patience it takes. So I worked with them and requested it. And again, I always have, and this is valuable, belong to a chapter, write the letter, have the president sign it, put it on letterhead, that's more power than one blind person. So we met with them, and they didn't do anything for a long time. And then they decided to have Joel come out, which was a big mistake. Not because of Joel. It wasn't because of Joel. It was when they had him come out, was way too early in the process. He came out last summer, and we still don't have describers. 
and they had volunteer describers that were ushers. And so a year ago, they got training, almost exactly a year ago, they got trained and haven't described in a year. And Joel and I and our two describers that set in from Music Circus and Broadway, we are all pitching that it's a paid position. This is a professional industry. It's a paid position. So I finally got a commitment out of them, and I'm delighted to say they're going to roll it out in November. How they're going to do it, I don't know. In my opinion, they need to bring Joel back. So I don't know. As long as they do it, I'm not in the habit of telling them what to do, how to do it, just the end result that we need and want. So I can go on and on and tell you I'm going to be working with some other theaters once this is done. I do one theater at a time because it does take a lot of work. And um, also have um, been a subcommittee for parks and um, um, theaters and movie theaters and museums uh, uh, for ACB. And um, under that, thanks to Denise Decker, we have built a wonderful relationship with the National Park Service. And we're working with them on an evaluation of different sites. And... um, We're excited about that because they are so excited to be working with us. And it happens to be that they have a blind guy on staff who's really wonderful to work with. And um, theaters. Okay, real quickly, theaters. I'm in a situation with a theater right now that I've gone to four times. One time they had audio description. Long haul of the story is I've gotten in touch with their attorney. Um, they responded once and not again, and I'm going to be working with Michael Nunes and his company, and we're going to deal with this issue. So in closing, what I want to say is in order to get audio description, I suggest a blind person starts, not a describer, because it looks like you're promoting yourself. Get your chapter behind you. If you can, get your state behind you. You just need an organization behind you. And... Put your feet in the ground, be persistent, and be patient. Every six months, I sent this guy an email. (laughs) And I really gave him time because it does take time for them to find the funding. It's not cheap to start out with. And it takes time for them to get the training. So advocate for it and follow up on it. Be persistent and be patient. Thank you. Thank you, Margie. Very nicely said. Our next speaker is Dr. Denise Decker, and she lives in Washington, D.C., and holds a doctorate in education. She has been a professional trainer in leadership and management for more than 30 years in both the federal and private sectors. She is an active member of the ADP Performing Arts Committee, and she's here today to tell us about that, and particularly, she said she'd tell us more about the parks. Welcome, Denise. Good afternoon. Oops, wait a minute. I don't. Uh oh. Uh oh, I just broke it. <laughs> I'm breaking the mic. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Hi, everybody. Can you all hear me? Hi, everybody. Oh, there we go. I'm honored to be with you. I'm so happy that everybody came out for this session. We love AD, and we want you all to love AD, too, our audio description uh, projects and activities. Last year, I'm kind of the new kid on the block because I just joined the, the Performing Arts Committee uh, about a year ago. Margie made an impassioned plea last year at convention for people who wanted to be on the committee. And I had had some experiences in Washington, D.C., providing feedback just informally to audio describers. And when Margie made her impassioned plea, I was like, I want to do this. So I got involved, and it's been fabulous ever since. Um, I promised to talk a bit about the, the activities we've been involved with with the National Park Service. The, the situation that was happening for a number of us was that as we were trying to assess park accessibility, we were making phone calls, and because park services is decentralized, it was often hard to get a call returned. It was hard. We'd leave messages, and we never heard back, and some of the, our, my earlier uh, fellow panelists talked about that situation of not getting the call back, and I think we've all been there. So my thought was, hey, if I can help, I want to do something. And I was fortunate to have had a colleague uh, who had been the, the human resources director for National Park Service. And I called him and said, can you help us out here? And he was able to introduce, uh, as uh, Margie was mentioning, introduce us to several individuals, one of whom cannot see, and the other is someone who was trained by Joel, and that makes it even better. So they uh, have joined us on several teleconferences, and we're at a point now where we're looking at putting together a guide for accessibility of national parks. And we're going to use, in part, as a basis, our museum guide, our draft guide, that draft accessibility guide that we've uh, put together on the committee. Uh, but we're also giving our National Park Service colleagues the opportunity to put their spin on the guide. What works, what doesn't, uh, what kind of access is provided? Do they have a cell phone? Uh, do they have cell phone apps that can be used? Is there tactile uh, opportunity? What kind of audio description might there be for films? Some of those kinds of things. So over the next several months, we'll be working on that with our National Park Service friends. And they're kind enough as a, a federal employee uh, they've been kind enough to work with us after hours, and I know what that means. And, and so they're giving their time as volunteers uh, as well, um, at least in part, and we're grateful for that. Now, where all of you come in is at some point, once we have the guide together, we're going to want some uh, ACB park visitors to ACB members to test it for us and give us feedback on it. You know, sometimes people say, well, well, why parks? And Joel mentioned in an earlier session that those of us who are visually impaired are part of our culture. We're part of our society. So my response to that question of why parks is why not 
parks. Why not, right? We, we have a right to recreate just as everyone else does. Mark just talked to us about advocacy. And sometimes when you're an advocate, you have to stand out. You're noticed. And maybe you're not going to get a thank you note. But there is a right way to advocate. I'm always reminded of the Gandhi quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. Many of you probably have heard that. So as we look at that from the standpoint of advocacy, I would say together we can be the change we wish to see in the world. We're not alone. We're advocating for each other, and we're ad advocating with each other. And I thank you, and I'll, uh, once the um, panel presentations are complete, I'll be happy to take your questions. Wasn't she eloquent? That's just the advocate you want. It's a velvet touch. I mean, who would not want to work with that attitude, that tenderness? That, that's absolutely beautiful. And now I'd like to, um, to talk to you for just a few moments about young people and advocacy. Um, we don't just play when we're growing up. We participate in our culture by going to our swim meets and our museums and our backpacking trips and our sleepovers and our plays, and we watch television, and we, as children, are as much a part of that popular culture. Several years ago, the Audio Description Project instituted a contest, and it, it, originally it was called um, the Young Film Critics Describer Award. I don't think I'm, I've got the nomenclature quite right, but it was lovely. And um, Joel Snyder and I think Jason Stark of DCMP were partnering on this, and we certainly are partnering with, partnering with DCMP now. But in any case, the idea behind the contest is this. Young people like the movies, right? Young people like television. Young people want to participate in things just as adults do. And blind young people want to participate in this element of popular culture as often as their sighted peers. So the Young Describers Award uh, contest invited students to watch a film, and they were from various age categories, and write an essay. And it had to be an audio-described film because what they needed to do was write an essay talking about how the description enhanced their listening experience of the film, what they learned about the plot, what they learned about the characters, uh, what they learned about the setting, what crucial information needed to be there. And they were also invited to pan something if it didn't work right. Like, well, I didn't know why that description was in there. Well, we um, re revitalized and, and reawoke this contest because it had kind of, very, people's priorities were a little bit, it just wasn't on the screen for a little while. And so we woke it back up last year with a wonderful um, subcommittee of people um, that um, Joel Snyder was on and Jason Stark was on, Dan Spoon, a teacher from our organization, Donna Brown, uh, another ACV teacher, um, Sheila Young, uh, myself. And the idea was, let's reawaken this award and revitalize it and bring it to a young generation. It is now called the Baddie Award, because who doesn't want to be a baddie? However, we're cheating because it really needs a double D. But what, what it stands for is the benefits of audio description in education. And here's how it worked and works. And here's where Abby comes in. 
we publicized that uh, the, the contest both on the ACB website and on the DCMP website, and that stands for Description Caption Media Programming. And that is an organization, the CEO of which is Mr. Jason Stark. Uh, they produce captioned educational films for people who are hearing impaired. But they also audio describe their educational films. And so Jason and DCMP have graciously partnered with, with ADP and helped us launch the application on their website make their educational films available to teachers who want them, publicize the winners, help us get things gathered together. And so this year we had a contest in which we had, we had student applicants who wrote about films and they could either be mainstream films or they could be assigned educational films. The age categories were 7 to 11, um, then 11 to 15, and 15 to 22. And so you would enter in a, in, in a, uh, uh, a uh, freshman, sophomore, or, or varsity category. And for our winners, we, we publicized this back in September of last year. We publicized it again in October. The end of November, the essays were collected. We reached out to ACV affiliates to help us. We reached out to schools for the blind. We reached out to blindness organizations. We reached out to public schools who had resource programs. We didn't do it alone. We're going to need your help, so look out because I'm coming to ask for help this year. Um, in any case, we chose winners, and we made sure we had prizes for our winners. We made sure that our grand prize winner, whom you're going to meet momentarily, received um, an iPad mini and uh, $100, and her teacher received a gift certificate we wanted to honor teachers. Every winner of that contest, first, second, and third place in different categories, received a cool prize, and everybody who entered the contest received a small prize. And our grand prize winner this year is Miss Abby or Abigail Moreno from San Francisco. And she's going to be speaking in, here at general session tomorrow. But I thought maybe I should turn some of my panel time over to Abby. And maybe you could just tell us what film you wrote about and what the contest was like and how you got involved and what that experience was like for you. Can we get a mic to... I've been talking to Abby over the last few months and having great emails with her and her teacher, and today I got to meet her. Here we go. All right, well, let me just start off by saying that it is an absolute pleasure and quite the honor to be here with all of you today. I want to give a quick special thank you to not only Mr. Joel Schneider and uh, Ms. Susan Glass for having invited me and for all of you here being um, being here for this session uh, in connection with uh, ACB, but also to my parents for being willing to take the drive up here <laughs> and spend 4th of July here with you all today. Um, and a quick special thank you as well to my 10-year-long friend, Miss Ellie, over here, who is sitting to my right. She was the first person who got in connection with my parents and I after I lost my vision at just the tender, tender age of six. And she was my TBI uh, for about a good, uh, what was it, like six years? Five, six years? <laughs> well, anywho, I, I want to give a special thank you to you three as well. Um, 
So if uh, I guess I will go ahead and talk about this uh, essay that I submitted and the body contest and my experience. Um, so I'm from San Francisco, California, and I'm currently in high school. I'm about to embark in my junior year of high school this fall. I'm 16, and when I first found out about this contest, I was really excited. I thought it'd be something really cool to do, and when my TBI um, mentioned it to me, I read up on it and really got um, just uh, so interested by the idea and followed through with writing the essay. Initially, I, you know, wasn't really thinking about, oh, you know, maybe I'll win or, you know, like, what would that be like? I, I was just kind of doing it for fun and, well, <laughs> here I am today, so thank you. <laughs> um, I was so overwhelmed by all the selections on the website of what video to choose, but I narrowed it down to a couple categories that I really like. And one of my huge passions um, in life is music. So I was scrolling through um, some of the options, and I landed on a video titled Faith, My Story About Being Confident, uh, which is mentioned, obviously, in my essay that I'll be reading tomorrow. And it's about uh, this young girl from Australia who enters a songwriting contest, and um, she, she overcame stage fright through this experience. So she was really, really skeptical, really shy, but her teacher encouraged her to go through with it, and she did. Um, and she ended up winning, and she got her song played on the radio, she was able to produce it professionally, and it was a short video, and all of it was audio described, but I was not only really moved by her encouraging story um, and the way she grew, um, but I also was able to connect with her on that level, um, because music is a huge passion of mine, and I've always been able to lose myself in, in that, and be able to express myself and grow um, through the music that I do on my own time. Um, but obviously the audio description was really outstanding on this video, actually. I, in, in the past, audio description for me has always been a negative. I've never been a huge fan of it. And I watched this video and I listened to it and I went back and listened to it several times to just see if I could maybe find something that I could nag about. and. The only thing I could nag about was that the voice was robotic, <laughs> um, you know, which is pretty standard for uh, for audio described uh, movies and films and things like that. Um, so, but otherwise, everything else about this clip was just absolutely outstanding. Everything was described in neat detail, and I even had somebody with sight watch it with me, both with their eyes opened and with their eyes closed, and they said, nope, they got everything. So <laughs> I was really surprised, um, and it was really a, a, a lovely experience. It totally changed my mind um, on what audio description can be and hopefully will be and continue to be in the future. Um, so yeah, that was a lovely experience, you know, getting to, to listen to the credits read all at the end of the, of the short film. And even something as small as a light bulb, you know, being lit up in the background and having that described was just like, wow, you know, they, that's just so incredible that in my mind I can visualize everything that is in this video and that they're describing. Um, audio description overall for me in other aspects of my life, uh, particularly with school, it's not really something I rely on too much or that I have direct access to, um, particularly in classes uh, that involve science or history. For example, my world history class this year, um, we watch a lot of films on, obviously on history and you know what we're, what we're learning and 
um, different clips online and educational cartoons and things like that. And oftentimes, my teacher will sit behind me and she'll be uh, describing everything that she can get off of uh, what she sees on the screen. Um, or uh, a student will do it, or my para, my paraprofessional will do it for me. But here's where I find a problem with that is um, I, it's, it works to, to the extent that it can, but it's not always the best method because you're trying to listen to what's going on on the video and what the characters are saying or the narrator is saying while you also have this other voice behind you, you know, telling you, okay, now they're doing this, now they're doing that, now the screen is showing this, there's, you know, blood everywhere or there's, you know, this and that. <laughs> um, and it could be a little bit confusing, a little bit, um, it, it can disorient you in terms of what you're trying to learn. And that's just the one thing that bothers me, as well as, you know, for other classes, like biology was another huge uh, problem for me in my freshman year. My teacher would use a lot of visuals on screen and not really have anything accessible for me. Um, quite frankly, she would also plan a lot of her lessons very last minute. So that was a bit unfortunate, but I powered through. Um, however, I do feel strongly, even more so now, after doing uh, this essay, that audio description t should definitely be far more pushed uh, in the world, not, you know, not just uh, in your local communities, not just in your country, but, you know, everywhere, because blind people, you know, we, we do exist, <laughs> yes. and the funny thing yeah. is that we are the blind ones, yet the sighted ones don't see us. <laughs> thank you, Abby. That's, that, thank you so much for this Absolutely. wonderful <laughs> testimony. We're, we're, yeah, that was fabulous. Joel, sh sh do we, can we do the questions? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'll run Thank the mic here. Thank you so here. much. Uh, do people have uh, questions for any of the panelists or Abby? Anything, everything was absolutely clear. Here we go, over here. Hi, um, Abby. I just wanted to make a comment that I loved your last line. <laughs> I am going to write that down. <laughs> That's that's great. That's great. We'll, we'll make it an ACB motto or something, you know. Excited people, they're the ones that don't see us. What, the, what is that? What? Any other comments, questions? Yes, yes, Gary? I'll give you a microphone here. Um, I really enjoy the movies that I watch and TV shows that are audio described, and and then there has been some new ones uh, since the some of those that that I've known quite well by listening to them. Uh, their work, uh, they're pretty good. I think the one disappointment I have with some movies that I've seen, they they don't read all the credits. They they start reading the credits and then they. Then they stop, and then they read something toward the end of it. But I'd like to know who who reads it. But sometimes I like to know who did the music on some of these things. And yeah, I mean that's what I to me is important. I could speak to that briefly, and Michael will have a comment here. But um, uh, you, you know, <laughs> well, maybe you're not aware because they don't read all the credits. But there are a massive number of names at the end of every film. It goes on forever, and to actually voice all those names, it would go on way past. The film's off, it's over, and the names are going. 
So we, we oftentimes I will use the phrase credit scroll including, and we pick and choose which ones. But you know what? That's what description's about. We pick and choose throughout the whole movie. Description is oftentimes about what not to describe. Because we can't describe everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. Michael. Well, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, Joel offered, uh, it was close to two years ago now, My uh, Joel offered my wife and me a fantastic experience in that uh, the they were doing the Tallgrass uh, Park in, in Kansas, and part of the process is to have peer reviewers work with the person who is actually writing the script for the audio description for the parks. And I just want to say that I think many of us who enjoy the end product of audio description think that, you know, yeah, the person studies the, uh, the, the play or the art piece or whatever for a little while, and then they pick up the microphone and they just do it, and it's, it's really easy to provide. And I learned about the complexity and the concern and the time which goes into providing good audio description, and it's absolutely incredible. And I don't think that we, as a blind and low-vision population, are able to express enough about how much it's appreciated, appreciated that this whole process takes place and to know how complex it is. And one of the things that fascinated me as a person who is legally blind but is also a certified orientation and mobility instructor, uh, and I've had a lot of experience working with uh, individuals who did theater audio description or movie audio description, but in audio describing a, a play or an exhibit, I mean a, a, an exhibit or a uh, group of displays, we were doing things like saying, okay, now, which would be the first thing that we need to start with in this room and the pattern in which we had to assume that the person who was blind was going to go through the room made a world of difference in exactly how the audio description should be uh, provided. And so the training process and the reasoning that goes into all of that is just fantastic to me. And I, I want to know as an advocate that once audio description on the one hand it's wonderful to go to all of these places and say you got to do this but it almost scares me to say to that people realizing now how complex the process is and i thought perhaps joel or someone would like to address that uh, sure. the, the two sides of that precipice well, and and, and wants to speak. Right. Yeah, go ahead Andy. You speak for a little bit okay and then we'll have, we'll have some the <clears throat> the point that I want to make is two. One is in this visitor center that we spent um, six hours standing and walking through the display area and touching things and listening and listening to Mr. Wilde's explanation for why he did it. We as blind people do not have a clue about how much information is actually out there. I mean, I don't care who you go with. Your sighted family members are not going to read you all this stuff. Never. However, the, the other 
question that I would like to address at some point. We've got a theater in Topeka that's a really good theater. We, we uh, had Peg Sampson in the lead center in Lawrence, and Peg did training, and now she went to Texas, darn it. But our civic theater is not interested in, in doing audio description. So we're going to kind of call you, Margie. There you go. Susan? Yes, we, we, must, we must wrap this up, but I will say that all of the stories and narratives are their form of, a, of advocacy. And when we tell the public and our, and, and our constituents and then consumer organization, when we let people know we're here, this is what we want, this is what we need, we love what you do, this is all part of the advocacy testimony in every way. So we have to move over here and make room for another panel. Thank you, panelists. But I'd That's like to thank all of you for uh, your wonderful and Mark's work. Gonna have, he's going to close it up for us, Mark. So one thing that I've heard a lot, and I think you guys probably have too, is that the reason they don't want to give us the accommodations is because they don't have blind customers. Right, it's the same with you know the liquor store that has no wheelchair ramp. They don't need one because they don't have anyone in wheelchairs as customers. If we don't get out there and show ourselves, yeah, you know, we have to prove them wrong. Like, and, and that's that's a big piece of that. Go ahead, Margie. You want to say that? Yeah, I just real quickly, Joel said I can say this. So very very important to listen to this. Approximately two years ago, DOJ, after literally about eight years or more. Um, settled a issue with the cruise lines cross disability. If you take a cruise that is in the United States, that leaves from the United States or comes back to the United States, and you want audio description on board, when you book your cruise line, your cruise, you should contact the company's ADA coordinator and make that request. I, my company spent a year and a half doing cruises, uh, description for cruises for Royal Caribbean cruise lines, and uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of ACB members took uh, a lot of those cruises. We're going to uh, wrap this up and move on to our next panel. If I can invite Tony Stevens to come on up. Uh, the, uh, and Will Shell is there, too. Excellent. We're going to bring Will Shell back and Tony Stevens from ACB. And where's that Mark Reichert fellow? Is he here yet? He's always late or something. I don't know. I will mention that um, Dan Spoon uh, was going to be moderating this session, and he's uh, had just a little bit of an emergency and uh, needs to tend to a couple of things. So he's not here now. Uh, but uh, Kim and I will kind of marshal things along here. Kim is here also as one of our panelists to discuss legislative advocacy. Oh, thank you, Mark. Oh, my goodness. It says Hamilton on it. Oh, my God. That's good. Yes, yes, I do. Thanks. All right, Joe. All right, buddy. Yeah, I'll talk to you. So, with that, let's start with Kim because. Uh, She's the head of all this here, and she can tell us about advocating for not just audio description, certainly, but all the, the kinds of issues that affect folks who are blind. Let me give you the microphone. Thank you. Susan? Yes. You still have your little handy-dandy timer? No, the timer. Yeah. Or do you want, you want to you give me a heads up because I can go on and on and uh -oh. on. So. <laughs> I, I, can, I can help there, too. I'm sure Joel will help. Hit me over the head or something. 
All right, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna talk about four things very quickly about um, that that I specifically do, um, and that we are advocating with uh, with respect to ACB. And the first one is um, Hulu. So Hulu is a, an, an internet, internet streaming service for video content. Um, and I'm sure most of you have heard of it. Um, ACB was the, the lead organization two years ago in structured negotiation with Netflix. And look where we are with Netflix today. So that um, was a very successful um, advocacy initiative that we took, took on. And um, and we decided that we needed to. Um, well, about a year ago, we said that that we were going to take on um, Amazon and Hulu. Now, I think you've seen we didn't do a structured negotiation with Amazon because we have a, a good relationship with them. We sat down with them, we talked, and and we got an NDA with them. And so we, a non-disclosure agreement where we could talk to them and they made very clear assurances to us that something was coming. And because of, of their forthrightness, my decision was that we should not pursue structured negotiation with Amazon because I felt they were working in good faith and that instead we should turn our, our efforts to reaching out and working with Hulu. So we are in the process of doing that. We have a demand letter that will be going to Hulu in the next week or so. Um, and the, we have individual claimants, and we have ACB as a claimant, and we have the Bay State Council of the Blind as an organizational claimant. And that is because of the nature um, when you do structured negotiation. Some states are better places to do it than others because of their state laws. California is a good place. Uh, Massachusetts is good. Illinois can be good sometimes. Those are, those are probably the top three that I know of. So we are just embarking upon our structured negotiation with Hulu, so there's more to come, but I wanted you to know that we are doing that work as well. So you've heard um, in Susan's presentation, you heard about DCMP the de Description Captioning Media Project. And um, I represent ACB on the DCMP Advisory Board. And um, just, just to say basically that that is an amazing organization. It is small, but they are mighty. And they, um, they get federal money to just audio describe and caption educational content that's used in school. So those videos that um, Abby was talking about, um, DCMP audio describes videos. That's what they do. And they, um, dcmp.org, um, check it out. It's, it's not a service that, you know, Joe Schmo, blind guy, can just go sign up for it. It is an educational service. Um, teachers sign up for it. So the blind teachers in the room can sign up for DCMP. Public school teachers can sign up. Librarians that help public school teachers can sign up. Parents can sign up for DCMP and they can get audio described educational materials through DCMP. So it's, and it's a pleasure 
working with them and um, being involved in, in their advisory work for ACB. The third thing I wanted to talk about ties back to the work Margie's been doing, um, Denise is going to be doing, has been doing with the national parks. And um, ACB is venturing into a special relationship with um, the University of Hawaii. Um, Joel's been involved, Dan Spoon, myself, Eric, um, and Google. So um, the university has been working on an app. <clears throat> I think they call it um, Audio Scribe. Is that right, Joel? Uh, that right. Okay, I, th I think it's right. So basically what they've been developing is an app that can be used by national parks to put their, their um, brochure in, to put their described tour in, and then this app will overlap other materials that they may already have up and running, or this is going to be the foundation of a, of a park's accessible um, content. And it's structured so that it's, you know, the same layout from, from venue to venue, um, so it's not like you got to download, you know, 50 different apps because you're visiting this park and that park. Um, so we've just started this project, and Google funded the project with the university, but the university couldn't accept the grant. So Google reached out to ACB, um, recognizing our work um, in as a leader in in the country on audio description and said, will you use your expertise and work with the University of Hawaii on this description project? So, so we said yes, and we've signed um, the agreement, and I believe we're going to be starting full um, activity on that project in the next couple weeks. Um, they're going to finish app development, and the, they're going to do 10 parks in... Um, I think all 10 are in California. So part of our proposal was that we have an affiliate in California and that we want to work with peer um, reviewers like Mike was Michael and Anne were talking about in Kansas. Um, so we'll be reaching out as we progress. I don't know which 10 parks yet, but we will reach out to CCB to make sure that when the time comes, um, and these parks and the app is accessible, that there's opportunity for people to come in, test the app, and then um, we're also helping them to coordinate with the local community to have like a grand opening for their, for their park accessibility with the blindness community. Because as we all know, we can do all the advocacy in the world, but if we don't follow up our advocacy, with the marketing and outreach to get the word out to our community, you know, there's going to be three people at the grand opening. And, and the parks are going to be disappointed. And the community won't know. So while, four, that's, four, yeah. <laughs> while that's part of, you know, what, what the parks should be doing, they don't know how to reach out to the community. So we need to be there to help them do that. So, so that's a, a, an initiative that ACB is working on. And then finally, in closing, just my own personal passion, performing um, theater performances, live theater, 
absolutely love it um, and have worked hard in the Boston area to make sure that we've got, um, you know, all the the biggest, brightest, best theaters in the community providing live audio description for um, what now is seems to be a hotbed of um, before Broadway performances, like Waitress started in Boston at the ART, the American Repertory Theater, um, Finding Neverland, you know, all these famous shows that had their revival at the ART, and now they went to Broadway, and we can't get description on Broadway, but mm. we had it in Boston, so mm. we're going to fix that. But, uh, you know, again, the same kind of outreach, Margie, you you see it, you work hard to make sure that the shows come into the town. We have to get the people to go to the shows. So I've, I've done, I do a newsletter twice a year. I list all the the shows that are coming to the Boston area, the Worcester area, um, and send that out far and wide so that I can really inform the community about theater. You know, there's issues around pricing. Sometimes there's transportation. It, it isn't as easy and straightforward as, as I wish it would be sometimes. But the, you know, it's important, and it's what we do. So That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you and ACB. For doing so much in support description, I will also say that Kim Charlson uh, was, I think, the co-author of one of the first uh, pamphlets, guides to how to do description in live performing arts. And I share that with uh, all the folks that I work with in training uh, in description, and it's very helpful, very valuable. So thank you, Kim. Tony Stevens, take a few minutes and tell us what ACB has been doing specifically uh, with respect to legislative advocacy. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, thanks again for the opportunity, Joel, to come and speak with everybody. This is always a great group to, to connect with. Uh, ACB, from a legislative side, um, and, and in terms of advocacy, you know, we do a lot of things, not just legislatively, but regulatory as well. I think uh, Mr. Shell will, to my other side here of me, will we'll share and expound on some things of, that have been engaged with the Federal Communications Commission, uh, you know, when it comes up onto the Hill, uh, we, fortunately, through the work with the, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, uh, that Eric Bridges and others were instrumental uh, in the disability community in really pushing forward and partnering with folks like AT&T and others in industry side to help, help get that over the hurdle, which gave us the description that we have today, uh, you know, has really helped us with the, you know, the, um, the Energy and Commerce Committee just in general. Uh, Senator Markey from Massachusetts. Uh, who was yeah, who, who was a, himself a great senator? And in fact, he held the other day an assistive technology summit in Washington D.C. in the in the Senate Hart Building, um, and and brought together a large number of advocates. Mark Reichert was the MC for that. ACB member and AFB folks know Mark. I think everybody does. He was the MC for that, and and you know Senator Markey came up and talked with the group for a while, and I think affirmed that it was still and still remains one of the one of the great things in his life. Spoke very well, Kim, to you of of Perkins. And, uh, and the relationship that he has with Perkins. But, you know, it, it's good to know that we continue to build relationships with folks that get it. And I think Senator Markey is one of the folks that get, gets it up in, up in the Hill. Um, so much that, you know, one of the issues that we've been pushing for uh, within the Federal Communications Commission has been an expansion from four to seven hours. Um, there was a proposed rule that came out last year that ACB was a part of. 
uh, that uh, not a part of, but in a part of weighing in on our comments toward, um, you know, supporting the, the proposed rule that at that time uh, the chairman was pushing forward. Um, it was going to come up for a vote in November, uh, but due to the apprehensions of Congress uh, and the new administration after the election, uh, all proposed rules that were going to become final or be voted on, in this case with the commission, were stalled. Uh, so this was this was tabled. It, it kind of pulled the air out of us to be to be serious. We were we were getting ready. We had press releases ready to go. We were a few days out, um, and we were ready to 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 you know commend and applaud and all those you know all those words that you use in a press release when good news comes about. Um, but we knew Chairman Pai uh, was a supporter of of the efforts that we've been doing. He has been a supporter of the Disability Advisory Committee, which ACB is is on. Uh, you know, Eric was on, and then myself as well, but others as well, Brian Charlson and Carl Richardson, who's here, uh, are actively involved in the video programming committee, so we continue to really stay involved in that area, which deals with the audio description and other things, such as accessible desktop or accessible TV boxes and things like that, the cable boxes. Um, you know, so, you know, the chairman, we knew it was just in time, and, and the commission has been working on a number of other sort of hot-button items, but we were very excited to find out that uh, it's on the docket for the agenda on July 13th to get an expansion from four to seven. So that's very much excitement for us. Um, you know, we, we, this is one of those things that was sort of baked into the CVAA to down the road. Uh, if there's no real hard economic constraints or hardships that have taken place, which the proposed rule clearly said none had been, you know, really listed at that point forward, uh, then this is the kind of thing that the, the law meant to do. You know, we move in slow and then we slowly expand, we slowly expand. Our hope is that someday we can have sort of the, the saturation of coverage that the deaf and hard of hearing community have. Uh, we're still a long way from that, but we're continuing to advocate for that. That's one of the things we continue to do is advocate with Congress, not just to Senator Markey, but others on the Energy and Commerce Committee, uh, and to the commission and to all, all the folks. Uh, what's exciting for us are the partnerships that we've been able to make through this progress. Um, going back to what Kim was saying with like Amazon and folks that, you know, kind of get it. And, and, and take the step and the initiative themselves uh, is the amount of described audio that we get across the board. Uh, you know, we're continuing to sort of watch what's going on in the IP world and the Internet world. Uh, we were very disappointed with UCAL Berkeley and how they pulled the 20,000 videos uh, when the Department of Justice made the settlement. Um, but we're working with folks, ironically, some of the stuff coming out of Berkeley's um, Bear Lab, which deals with artificial intelligence and robotics, we think might be the way we're you know, it, it's going to be hard to try to find professional audio describers as yourselves for every person doing a magic trick on their YouTube channel. But we think that there are ways to get APIs and artificial intelligence built in with some of the research that Berkeley is currently doing in their artificial intelligence lab and MIT is doing as well in their robotics lab that can get us someday to get to that point of, uh, you know, being able to automatically describe dynamic moving video and things like that. So that's kind of where we are in the tech world. In the legislative world, we're continuing to build those relationships. We're continuing to stay engaged with the Federal Communications Commission, and we're real fortunate uh, to have on this, you know, July 13th. We, we knew it would just take, you know, some time for the for the new administration to get settled and for Chairman Pai to get settled. Uh, but we're very much excited for for you know the fact that the chairman allowed to come up on the 13th uh, this issue that's going to for us be a really big win. Thanks so much, Tony. Tony does a great job of advocacy for for ACB and for all folks who are blind. 
And, and finally, the, we saved the G-Man uh, for last. Uh, and I, I, I can say that, actually, Will, because uh, for 20 years, I, I worked for the National Endowment for the Arts, all the time doing description as well. So I was a government employee, and I had a little button that I would wear occasionally that said, trust me, I work for the government. <laughs> and yeah, it got a lot of laughs. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you, yeah, well, I'll tell you, though, the FCC has got people there like Will Shell, like Karen Peltz-Strauss, like Scott Marshall, Elliot Greenwald, uh, who are true believers in accessibility. We are so, so uh, fortunate to have them there, uh, and we're fortunate to have Will here to uh, address us about FCC's work. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I, I um, come from a history of advocacy. Mainly, I'm, I'm a lawyer, and I used to work in the California's Protection and Advocacy Agency. And one thing that I really learned was that if you don't sue somebody, you're not get. This is a lawyer talking. If you don't sue somebody, you're not going to get what you want. And and. Um, and, you know, I really learned, um, you know, or I believe that there's a lot of truth in that. It may not be totally true, but there's a lot of truth in that. There are disabled, and I've, I've worked for disability rights across multiple types of disabilities, not uh, just blindness issues. And the people with disabilities uh, who organize, like ACB, who show up and demand their rights, right? And... Um, for example, uh, with the state parks, with the national parks, with state museums, uh, things like that, all you have to do, I'm not, I'm not saying it's this easy, but one thing that is easy to do is just cite back to them their obligation that all programs, activities, and services must be provided uh, in an accessible manner. All of them, including the ones that you don't think should be, like parks and, uh, you know, if it's a state or local government service, it has to be accessible. Unless it's not really, and then all the other caveats that uh, people try to use to take away people with disabilities' rights. Those things never work for the state or local government. Well, <laughs> not if you sue them and demand your rights. Let me just say, regarding uh, the FCC, I need your complaints. It's not the same as a lawsuit, right? And I'm not saying <laughs> there is no private right of action under the CVAA. There is no lawsuit to be had. You can file a complaint with my office. We can then send your information and reach out to the covered entity, whether it's a cable or satellite company or whether it's a broadcast network or whether it's a telephone service or mobile phone or a Hulu app on an over-the-top player that you bought under the expectation that it would be accessible, you can file a complaint with my office, and we will dig into it. And we may find out that our rules are lacking. That is something that we're going to have to live with. But if we don't get your complaint, you don't exist. You might get bad news. You might get the news that, sorry, the broadcast channel did already has done eight hours of audio description this week. Your TV program that you wanted to watch 
it's in the ninth hour, so it's not going to be covered. That might happen, but your complaint adds onto the pile of complaints, and eventually people can no longer stare at, or excuse me, ignore the giant pile of complaints that are coming in, whether they are on point or not. Those complaints start to register. You can file a complaint by contacting me directly or by going to uh, fcc.gov slash disability. And there's all sorts of information on that website about what is covered under our rules. Our rules are really limited to televisions, uh, television uh, services, telephone services, and uh, some other things that are kind of related to the internet, but we're not really supposed to say internet yet. Uh, no one's sure who's regulating the internet. <laughs> no one. No one. It doesn't like regulation. <laughs> Thank you, Will. That was great. That really was. You know, Will and all those other folks I mentioned who work at the FCC, you really can trust them. You know, they work with the government, you really can trust them, and that's, that's a good thing. The only thing I'll say about the FCC is please, 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 Will, please consider getting with the program and calling it audio description, not just video. Oh, come on now. Not just video. You know, when we go into a museum, it's not museum description. When we go into a park, it's not park description. When we go into a movie, it's not video. Video description. Hello, people at the movie theater. I'd like to know if you have VD. No, you can't say that. You can't say that. It's audio description. It's written in stone. Ah! The, I, you know, my favorite thing is, um, so I'm fairly new to the FCC. And so I had to, like, really dig in and start familiarizing myself with our regulations yeah. and our rules. Ours are called video description. Department of Justice, just across the street, did the movie theater rules right. audio description. That's right. They, as all, and the park service not talking to each is other. all audio That's description. Right. <laughs> so I won't keep bugging you about that. Are there any questions? We have just a few minutes. Uh, any questions that, uh, yeah, let me... Uh, Thank you all for this wonderful presentation. Will, I guess this question is directed mainly to you or to you, Tony. Is there any conceivable statutory basis for assertion of jurisdiction in this matter uh, over Sirius XM? So this is Will. I got, that, um, I got a similar question at the mid-year legislative summit, and I looked into it, and I don't think so. Um, there is... From what I could determine, there is very minor FCC involvement with um, Sirius XM. Other people might know more than I do, but <clears throat> essentially they are not uh, really considered to be broadcast, and they're not, they're not under the same radio rules. Uh, so it, it's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that I could find uh, on point. Right. Um, all right. Uh, so, well, with that... Um, no other questions or whatever. I want to thank our panel, of course, and uh, take uh, the uh, uh, chance here to tell you about our website, the Audio Description Project website. It has everything you want to know about audio description, but we're afraid to ask. www.acb.org slash ADP.
Uh, really, it is the, the go-to place for information on audio description. If you want to hear a little audio description, tomorrow night at 7.30, Pavilion A, La La Land with audio description. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. That was our Best Picture uh, Academy Award winner for about 90 seconds uh, before Moonlight was. Before it wasn't. Anyway, and, and finally, I do just want to recognize during this session uh, my good friends Joanna Escabel and her husband Escabel. They, they are here all the way. They, they, live, they live in San Diego and in Warsaw. Uh, go figure. They must have a million frequent flyer miles at least. Joanna is holding up a poster that has on it the cover of my book, ACP published, The Visual Made Verbal, being translated into Polish and should be out later this month. Uh, so any of you people here that speak Polish, you're in luck. Uh, and we already have it out in Russian, uh, and um, uh, it's coming out soon in Portuguese, and we're working on Spanish and Arabic and French right now, too. So thank you, Joanne, for being here. And uh, they do have a little pamphlet version of the book out that's in Polish, so uh, you can ask about that. With that, thank you all for being here, and it's right at 530.